Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. We do congratulate Jason Murray. Absolutely. And we wish him all the best. He joins a long line of great sports editors at the Washington Post, including Marty Zad, George Solomon, and Don Graham was a sports editor briefly. Um, so, you know, good for him. Good for him and best of luck. I read it every single day. And I want it to be great. Do you have a direct line for any future complaints? Yes, we're going to need that. uh, We're going to need it down the road. (laughs) The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. How serendipitous that Liz Clark is here, having worked with Jason Murray at the Washington Post. You love Jason Murray. Thought the world of him. He is that rare editor who is great at everything. You know, word editing, news judgment, compassion, smarts, just... And doesn't hold a grudge. You know? That's wonderful. Yeah, he's just the And he best. listens to this show. Really yes. inspired. And he writes us, I offer this with slight trepidation, <laughs> his phone number. Yeah. His phone number and says, P.S., please tell Michael it rained on Friday. We wish Jason all the luck in the yes. world. Yes, thank you, Jason. Um, Michael is not here. Michael is with his family in Michigan for the week. Uh, we were all not here last week. I probably won't do that again. Maybe in August, maybe one week. But I mean, I missed... I can't, I don't know about you. I don't know about anybody's listening. I can't take vacation. I cannot relax. That I'm not so that guy. Yeah. I can't, you know, everybody says, why don't you just get away? I can't get away from me. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's the problem. I can't get away from me. If I'm not oh. doing something, if I don't have tasks, if I, I, it just doesn't work. I played golf every single day. I played like eight days in a row at Rehoboth. I got worse. I mean, I was okay for the first three days or so. I got worse, and then we were in the member guest with me and my friend Eddie from high school, and we were the oldest group there. And, and you know, we didn't play well. I, I played very poorly. Um, but I couldn't – I'll get to the tournament in a second. I just played poorly because I played too much golf. I mean, there are people who go on cruises. I can't go on an no, ocean cruise. No, I've thought about – have you ever gone on a cruise? Oh, no. I would never, ever. It, it, I'm so averse to the even the concept. No. So I, I won't go on an ocean cruise. I'm afraid of water. I'm afraid of boats. Uh, the cruise that I've thought about taking, and I had somebody the river tell cruise? me about this, the river cruise in Europe, where I assume on rivers you can see land. Oh, sure. You know, I assume rivers aren't so wide that you can't see land, um, like the Rhine River or the Danube River or, or things like that. There are these cruises. They're pretty high-end. What am I going to do with my money except give it to the kids? So um, you cruise Europe, certain places in Europe, and then you can get off and play golf. Like, you can do that. And I'm I'm not... I don't like flying to get there, but I could get enough drugs in my system to do that. I've done that before. I'm thinking about that. That doesn't interest you either. You wouldn't... Well, we have different aversions. I mean, my aversion has nothing to do with open water and not seeing land or no anxiety about that at all. Right. It's about being cooped up with this mass of strangers wearing name tags and staggering around drunk and, you know, stuffed with food. Yeah. It's just this big Petri dish. I mean, I would feel so trapped. I don't do group travel as a rule i mean i i've traveled a ton but usually you know by myself calling my own shots or you know reporting trips right uh, um and i feel comp you know i just i just cannot imagine being part of a herd crammed on a boat so 
that's my idea of those Hell. Uh, Caribbean trips yeah. that I would never, ever go yes. on. But if I understand these river cruises correctly, there's a limited field. You know, there, there's, there's not thousands of people. There's, I, I'm sure you're right. And, yes. and you yes. get off every single day. You get off the boat yes. every single day. So you can sort of go where you want to go and you might meet... I'm, I think it's possible I could meet a few people I would like. I'm sure I'd meet some people I wouldn't like. It happens in all walks of life. I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid of the, the literal Petri dish of COVID. Yes. I'm still afraid of all that. I still don't yes. go anywhere, basically. But, um, but yeah, I've actually thought about that. That's the only kind of cruise yeah, that I would take. I, I don't, but I, but I can't. The reason I would take it is because my days would be filled. I can't sit and relax. You know, people like to, Bob Ryan. Bob Ryan Loves goes cruises. off in the woods in yes. Maine and yes. reads. Yes. Like, shoot me. I can't <laughs> do it. You know, you I have tasks and activities. I need people. Yes. I need noise. I need activity. Yeah. Well, I, that might I don't work relax. For you. I see. Well, do you relax well? I don't oh, relax. Yeah. You do? Yeah, I do. I mean, in, did you in always? No, no. Usually I'm stressing about you know, some mistake I've made, you know, in the paper, or, yeah. you know, was this fair? Was this balance? Was that the right word choice? Like the, the endless tape loop of recrimination. But no, I, I'm pretty good at relaxing yeah. now. So you wouldn't want to get on this particular ship? No, no. Oh, that image me. that's no. viral. No, no, of, right. No, this was the not. new largest cruise I don't know. I don't want to be on. No, I don't want to be on. No, that. that looks. I think you're right, though. I think the river cruises, I've known some people that have gone on that. It, it is a, more of a limited crowd. Yeah. Um, and and I, you do get to go off the boat, I think, every day. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think there is that. If The only you know. thing I'm afraid of is that something happens on the river and they put you on a bus. I don't want to go on a oh, bus. Oh, that sounds like a bad movie. Yeah, I don't want to go <laughs> no, on a bus. No, I should say, I did go on a Seine River cruise, like on a three-hour thing, you know, in oh, Paris for, okay. for right. a dinner. Okay. And How was it? It, you know... It was my dad's idea. He was 89. We knew it was my brother and I going to be his last trip to Europe. And he wanted to give us this dinner cruise. And my brother and I secretly like rolled our eyes. God, that sounds corny. But dad wants to do it, you know. And he told me to book it, uh, you know, spare no expense. We all loved it. I mean, it was so moving. And largely because you get this vantage point of Paris that you wouldn't get otherwise. It's so obvious. But... You know, this it's the was same not, in New York Harbor. I guess you're right. It's you know, this same. was not long after Notre Dame had burned. Oh, yeah. So to float so close to it underneath it and look up at this charred ruin that's still intoxicatingly beautiful. I mean, it meant so much. We, yeah. It was an enduring memory. So, so you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not shutting the door on that yet. I will. I can see, yeah, that's a different I'm thing than that. The I would love for some people to email us and tell them their experience. Who've done it. Yes. Let me know what it's like. Good and bad. Well, let me get to this tournament, the Rehoboth Beach member guest, which was, we had such great luck. Every day they said it would rain and it never rained Aww. the three days. It's a wonderful format. You are put in groups, you know, assigned by handicaps. So you, the, the level of play is relatively equal. And there are six groups, so there are six teams in a group, and you play nine whole matches against the other five. And then your aggregate points that you have won determines who wins your flight. 
Uh, ben Lynn and Terry Lynn, his uncle Terry, won the flight. They have, they've killed me before. <laughs> uh, if anybody remembers this, where I, uh, Terry Lynn, um, he, he killed me. He careered it against me in the Talon Cup. <laughs> and I said, you're like, Jerry, you're like Jerry West. And he's Asian. He said, no, I'm Jerry East, which was funny. <laughs> it's very funny. He killed me again. I mean, we played again. He's, he hits a ball. It's going to go off the green. It's going to go way to the uh-huh. top. And he goes, run down now. Run down now. And, of course, it listens, and it gets to two feet from the cup. <laughs> you know, and he, and ben, is a, 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 ben is a good player, but Ben is all over the fairways and then his second shots get him get him to the green from other fairways you know he's not on the fairway he's supposed to be they're lovely people they're you know and and the highlight of our day for eddie and i was ultimately in our match with them and they did win the flight and they were the best in the flight that we tied them you know we tied them i had on the two par fives that we played i had a par and a birdie i never do this i didn't win either hole because terry chipped in from the from off the green on the par and birdied the same hole I did and birdied it before me and I was lucky to to sink my putt and as I said to him I love you and hate you and want to kill you and you know and he's a a lovely guy so you know we we did that but that I I did not play well I played well at the beginning and had a good time my only complaint about the tournament is we all didn't tee off from the same sets of tees um, uh-huh. Some people younger than I, younger than I, teed off from a forward tee. Uh-huh. Now, on some holes, it doesn't really matter. On the par threes, it doesn't really matter. But on a couple of holes, if you're on the greens and I'm on the whites, I'm giving you 100 yards. I'm giving you 100 yards. And if you hit a drive better than I do, like I can't hit it more than 180 anymore. If you hit it, can still hit it 200. Your second shot in is just so much right. different and easier than mine. Yeah, you're right there. And I didn't, I mean, I found out really late in the game that I could play from the greens. I'd have to give up strokes and all of that. There'd be a mathematical component to it. And, and now I realize that we should have, like Eddie and I qualified. We were the oldest guys uh, in the in the group. And we played from the regular tees that most of the people in the group. And, and one time we played two guys Nice fellas, uh, David and, and Michael, and they played from the greens, and we got shots on some holes, and it didn't matter because they were right. close enough yeah. that their shots were easier and more routine. And so we got drilled by it. We lost the first four holes. We were done. We were completely done, and I think we were sort of psyched out because they're teeing off in front of us. Again, nice people. Um just part of me, I don't know how it works, but part of me feels that you should you should play the same course as the people in your group. Yeah. You know, you should like play the exact same course as people field. in your group. But next time, if it's available to me, so I give up strokes, so what? You know, oh, at our age, we're not allowed to say strokes. We say shots. They say, we'll just say <laughs> we give up shots. That's funny, isn't it? That is funny. Yeah, it's funny. So, um, and, and I've talked about Jay Whitby before, who's a great, great golfer at Rehoboth Beach. He's won the Delaware Open. Like, he's won against all comers in the, in the state. Um, he shot a 29 on one nine. He was seven under. Wow. Like, he didn't, sh- he didn't, he didn't play the next nine um, because that was the last nine. But he's walking into the next nine with 29. <laughs> so if he even shoots, like, if he has a pretty good day and shoots two under... 
Yeah, he's nine under. He's shooting 63. I, mean, I don't even know what the course record is, but if you shoot 29, you know, so all props to Jay Whitby, who's a wonderful guy and listens to the show. I've played with him in a couple of tournaments where he got stuck with me and he won, you know, and we got shop credit because of him, not because of me. So it was, it was a lovely, you know, it was a lovely event, really. It's a lovely event. I just, you know, and one other thing happened that was great. And I... You know, I am very nervous about dinners, and I did go to the dinner afterwards and sat at a table with a bunch of other people, and God knows if by Wednesday I'll have COVID. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but I I went out to dinner. Eddie and I went out to dinner one day, we, one night, and I called, and you'll know this name if you're from the Washington, D.C. area, Todd Gray. He owns a great restaurant called Equinox oh, in downtown yes, right. that I've yes. eaten at a number of times. You've eaten there, yes. right? It's great. Yeah, not many times. Okay, but yeah, so Todd, Todd now has a place on Rehoboth Avenue that's the size of a bowling, one bowling lane. I mean, it's just all the tables are on one side and the only way you can walk is on the other side. Oh, nice. And it's called The Federal. It's great. Okay, and it does big time business. And he, I called him and I said, you know, maybe we could take out. And he said, well, I could put you in the outdoor tables. Well, I didn't even know they had outdoor tables. They had a couple of outdoor tables right as you walk in. So, so as I'm sitting there, to my right is all the foot traffic on Rehoboth Avenue. It's 10,000 people walking by as I eat. <laughs> but that's okay. That's you know, I, was out, I, felt, I felt good outside. And Todd has this thing that he does. He goes, can I cook for you? I oh, go, sure. Yeah. And what that means, now he's cooking for everybody, but what that means is you sit... And he comes over with all the different courses. You make no decisions. You make no decisions. That's so nice. We had a gazpacho soup with mm. crab meat. We had a corn and scallop uh, salad. We had a pasta dish, and then we had swordfish. And it was oh. among the greatest dinners I've ever had in my life, as it is when you when Todd Gray cooks for you. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, I just thought, this is great. I, I mean, this is really wonderful one time before one of the times i went to equinox and todd remembered this it was out of the blue steve nash was still playing in the league he was uh-huh. playing for phoenix and i was there with somebody else and steve nash was in the restaurant eating oh. by himself and he came over and he sat and so because he recognized me yeah. from pti and, I, and it was like thrilling for me because sure. he's you know wonderful and uh-huh. and it was great to talk with him for about an hour and Todd remembered it, he said, because Steve posted pictures of himself there. Oh. So they got a big walk-in crowd yeah. as a result of that. So, was, so if, if any chef ever says, can I cook for you, just do it. Just if do any it. man ever says that. <laughs> 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 All right. So we will take a break. When we return, uh, Wilbon will join us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes from our friend Michael Granberry, who writes, On the night of May 1st, when Gordon Lightfoot passed away, I felt compelled to go to YouTube to re-listen to some of my favorite songs of his. 
In the wake of his passing, Bob Dylan, who may have been his biggest fan, said Lightfoot died, quote, without ever having made a bad song. And every time he listened to a Lightfoot song, he wished it would last forever. So I was pleasantly surprised to discover a brilliant cover of Lightfoot's ballad, Song for a Winter Night, sung by Erin Propp, who shares in common with Lightfoot her Canadian heritage. She's from Winnipeg, which is truly the Midwest of Canada, where she and her musical collaborator, Larry Roy, have produced two albums. This is called... Um, well, this is, yeah, Song for a Winter's Night, right? No, this is uh, oh, the Oh, this frost. is The Frost? The Frost, This yes. is The Frost. And it's so odd because she gave, Erin gave permission and sent a letter, a cover letter to Michael Granberry, which she said of her collaborator, Larry Roy. He wanted me to tell you he's a big fan of Tony Kornheiser and pardon the interruption. <laughs> so that's wonderful. This is called The Frost. We will play two songs by Erin Propp and Larry Roy. This one plays in Michael Wilbon, who has three things he wants to talk about. And let's start with Steph Curry. I still, I saw, I didn't see the hole in one. I saw the eagle and I saw him pick up his child after making the eagle. And I did read, Mike, that there was some controversy because when Marty Fish was teeing off, somebody sort of deliberately shouted and got him off his game. Did you, did you read about that? No, no, I, I haven't read about any of it. I just haven't watched. I was watching live. Oh, okay. By the time they hit their second shot. Right. And, of course, Steph Curry hit, you know, hits his to whatever it is. What do you think that putt was, 20 feet? Yeah. 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 So, Fish, I saw each one of their approach shots. Um, I didn't have the sound even turned up until they got to the green. Right. And then, because um, I didn't watch... I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it I, either. I mean, I, I played in it once. Yeah, I watched it when you played in it. Or something. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. You know, and um, sometimes I watch it. It's, it's fascinating. It's, it's fun to watch when it's just like one of the most scenic golf courses anywhere in the United States. Um, and so, so when Curry makes the putt from 20 feet for eagle, and you know, they're saying, you know, he's had an ace. This would be his third eagle of the week. Of the weekend, and like he's not wow. gonna make, he's not gonna make this. Come on now, and he drops it, boom, and he sprinted off. It was great. It was just a great moment, and um, you know, Curry was was you know it was great talking about it afterward. It's very cool. I can't. I'm gonna see him later today, um, and I can't wait to to hear about it and talk to him about so it. So I thought about Curry. I thought about. I tried to think about who are the most popular athletes. Mm. Who are the athletes that people like the most? And I came up with a short list of three. Okay. Right now, to me, these are the most popular athletes. Steph Curry is on my list. Shohei Otane is on my list. Mm. And Patrick Mahomes is my... That's my list. Mm. Those are... Uh, do you think anyone is more popular right now than them? Well, if you're talking... If you expand it to include... Just places other than the United States, you got Lionel Messi. Obviously. Oh no, sure, but I mean, I'm just talking about you know Here. United States pro um, athletes. That's all I'm talking about. I, I I don't think there's anybody that you've left out. Yeah, I think that's um, it. I, I think that any well LeBron. No, because he's been controversial and he's walked out on teams. No, I don't think he's as popular as Steph Curry. I don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, I thought about be, him. I didn't, you know. Be, you know, we might be splitting hairs. So I thought about Brady, but Brady's not playing yeah, anymore. No. He's not yeah. playing. Well, you, if, if you, you know, I mean, beloved, um, you know, might change that. Popular, you can look at that as two ways. I don't know if Steph Curry's 
say uh, a way you could determine that in, in, in part is by, say, jersey sales. If people are willing to go out and spend their money on a guy's jersey, so I don't know who has more jersey sales now, greater jersey sales, LeBron or Steph, but look, Steph Curry is on anybody's list, that and is. that would be worldwide and at he's, that. He's yes. likable. He, oh, people God, yes. like oh, him, yes. Yes. and that's important. They like him. Yes. All right, I'm not. More, I'm, you know, reason more reason that's why, and he you know, he won this thing. He won the tournament with that with that putt. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. won it. I mean, yeah, so g- good big for him. And a hole in one yeah. is a hole in one. I know I've never Absolutely. had one, so good for him. And I know. So I should tell people out there that when I I told Mike that I was out in Rehoboth, and he said, "When are you coming back?" And I said, "I'm going to drive back Sunday morning." And he said, "Well, you can't drive back Sunday morning." I said, "Why?" So well, because the Wimbledon final is Sunday morning. You can't drive back then. You're going to miss the final. Well, I didn't miss the final. I got back. I didn't miss the final. But you, I'm sure, watched every ball. Every swing. All right, every what did, uh, Liz is here. I'm going to talk to Liz later oh, about her Liz thoughts. But hey, Mike. you tell me. I looked at the paper yesterday, and I said to Cheryl, um, this is like one of the few times. I'm not going to say the only, but I said to look on the Washington Post page and to see a story from Wimbledon, and it's not from Liz Clark. <laughs> authored by Liz Clark. I said, this is only got this is gotta be like the second or third time in twenty five years. Liz, am I close? You somewhat embellish. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's been a minute. It's been a while. Yeah. Wow. It it it's you know, it it I just was like seeing anybody else's byline. Um so Liz it's great to hear your voice. Um I, yeah, I, I flew back on Saturday night from Chicago, which I probably would not have done um because I wanted to wake up and see this because I wanted to see this specifically if it had been two other people I would have done it but I wanted to see Alcaraz who obviously has there's every reason to be fascinated with him at 20 years old um and particularly coming off the French Open where he 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 played Joker and you know couldn't get it done um had a physical ailment and blah 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 so that was just you know (laughs) that was pretty it's pretty incredible to, to to just watch it, and you can anticipate something special happening. I know on Friday, Tony, uh, Frank Isola and I talked about, uh, because Kelleher set it up this way, um, whether it was great for, t- whether it was good for tennis to have, you know, old guard versus new guard, a potential passing of the torch situation, blah, 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 blah. And we both said, yes, it's not just good, it's great to have that. And I think it happens much more in women's tennis than it does. I mean, I think about all the tennis in my life that I've watched, even when I was a teenager, or maybe not a teenager, but early 20s or something. Watching, say, Tracy Austin and Chris Everett. And watching, didn't Zena Garrison, like, sob when she beat Chris Everett once late in, late in Chris's career and early in hers? Maybe that was Martina. But you, you, you see it more often in women's tennis than you see in men's tennis. Um, and, Wow. I mean, wow! It lived up to it. It, li- it because I didn't think, I didn't think that Joker could lose to Alcaraz. I didn't think Alcaraz could beat Joker yesterday. I, it was coming, but I didn't think it would happen. And after he after he loses, he waxes the kid six one in the first set. You just like no, no, not today. It'll happen, but not today. And maybe that's part of the reason it happened. Maybe the kid I didn't hear much post game. Maybe the kid was embarrassed because he lost six one and just really fueled him. But it was just, that's one of the great slam finals I've ever seen. They were two points apart for the whole match. Um, like 146-144 or 144-142, something like that. And it was like, you know, the proverbial heavyweight fight. And, and finally, just the physically superior 
person at this point of his life, one. Because, look, I know you don't like him. I was cheering for Alcaraz. Um, but Joker's the GOAT right now. Uh, he is. Because he owns the head-to-head. I don't care about style. I don't. Other people may. He owns the head-to-head with both Federer and Nadal. And to me, all three of them have passed the likes of Agassi, uh, Sampras, you know, like Borg and McElroy are way in the rear view mirrors when it comes to that stuff because of, of, of slams won over a period of time, and those guys just played too short a time. Connors, you know, I, I know Laver's your guy. Laver's my guy. And I, and I, and I hear you because I was a kid and watched all of the Laver stuff. I grew up on that. But Joker's the go. By the way, we define these things in today's culture, Joker's the go. Yeah, that's the problem. We define things in today's culture. Maybe, maybe so. That's but, the problem. You know, he, and here's the other thing. Joker's still at a level. Yeah. He'll, he's t- still playing at a level. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I fully expect him to win the U.S. Open. And if he does, he's just going to pad his lead. Yeah. All right, let's well, move over, on. This. Over those two, so... Yeah, it was a great. It was indeed a great match. I want yes, to give you a few minutes to talk about Northwestern. Oh, I could do without this last topic. I really yeah, I know, but you have oh, to. Oh, yeah, you have to. But you have to. to. This is your yeah, school. This is your conference. This know, is your guy. You love Pat Fitzgerald. It's my school and my guy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got. We're in the middle of. You know, when I heard about this a little over a week ago, week ago Friday, I was in a car, you know, driving Matthew around to his AAU basketball game. Cheryl and I. And I get a phone call saying, um, you know, you've got to be ready for something. There's a report that's coming out, and it's bad, and and uh, you got to get ready. And I have to get ready, not just emotionally. I'm a trustee of the university, and, and it's going to fall on the trustees to act upon this report of hazing with, a, with, with sexualized stuff. And, um, you know, I hear it, and over and over, and I immediately am in phone calls with the athletic director, with the president, with the, with the chairman of the board of, of, of the trust, of trustees, um, who I know quite well. And you just realize in very short time that this is going to be, as I said to them, and I, don't, and I know people didn't realize it, I said, this is not a tornado, which is bad enough. Tornadoes kill people. I said, this is a tidal wave. This is a tidal wave. And it's going to reverberate for a period of time in which I know some people at the university weren't prepared for. You know, people in academia, they're they're not in the sports world. Some are forced into it, but they're not in the sports world. Um, It it was going to be different. It was going to be the the most difficult thing I thought our university had ever had to handle. And I I now say a week and two days later, yeah, it's it's that bad. And, of course, we um, ultimately, after some clumsy handling of the affair clumsy is the best word i can use probably we fired pat fitzgerald uh who is the most accomplished athlete in the history of northwestern university which is like i don't know 1869 or something or 1857 or whatever it is we are um he's the most accomplished person and at a place where you know, sports has started to matter more in the last 30 years than it ever mattered. That's a that's a huge thing, and we had, we had to fire him. Um, and I know that you and I went back on text. I you were one, you were one of the first people I said to you, Tony. I texted you the report and said, "What do you think of this?" And this went on 
this went on, it's going to go on. We had to fire him. And in, in the wake of that, even the baseball coach has done other things. They were not that, but stupid, reprehensible things. And he was fired, like, the next day. So we fired Pat Fitzgerald last Monday night. And uh, I was in Scottsdale. I was headed to either Phoenix or uh, to Vegas or L.A., Vegas for summer league. I thought I'd go off there for a couple of days. And, you know, after some deliberation, I was like, nope. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to swing by our campus. It's the middle of the summer. Nobody's there. Not many people are there. The, the, even the people I'm talking about weren't there. Um, and I, I decided to go for two days at least and just be on campus to talk to people in person, including the president of the university, who to me did something that was very uh, difficult but laudable. After making the mistake of just suspending him for two days and then firing him, he fired him. And he didn't dig his heels in like so many people would do in these positions. He 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 did a tough thing and said, "I did this. I made the mistake. Yeah. And now I'm going to get this right." And he fired him. And nobody takes any glee in this. Pat, not only is, not only is Pat Fitzgerald the most accomplished athlete in the history of Northwestern, he's loved. Okay, he is charismatic. He is wildly successful in a place that has never had it. Not in football or men's basketball, as you know, as you both know. But he's, he, we love him. I, I, you know, I have and can't run from that. And that's part of the, the big issue. He's an alum. He's, he, he, he's, he's part of the most successful stint of playing and coaching football there. And so now we're in sort of wandering in the darkness here as we try to, try to find our way and dig out of this. And a tsunami is what it was. The tidal wave of tsunami, it, it was that. It is that. So I, I went for two days. I met the new interim coach, uh, Coach Braun, and who was not there. He just got hired in December. He was not there for any of the hazing that is described and talked about, alleged, corroborated. Um, and I met him, and he and our athletic director, David Gregg, asked me to actually, uh, Derek Gregg, excuse me, asked me to speak to the team, which I really wasn't prepared to do, but did. I guess it was Thursday night. And uh, so on we go. And that's too long to go on about this, but uh, it's, it's really difficult. It's the most difficult thing that I have certainly dealt with in a, you know, sort of a long way. And I spoke to, I did, I spoke to the kids, the whole team. And they asked me to, and I, I, I actually didn't want to do it, but I think I was glad I did. And have made contact. They've made contact. Some of them with me to say, "Hey, can we talk to you?" Yeah, I wasn't there as an ESPN person. I was there as an alum and a trustee who loves the place. Hopefully, it'll get better. Um, can, can I? Yeah, at just, some point. At some point. What? And what about the role of the Medill journalism students? Yeah, you know, I met with uh, Liz. I'm glad you asked. I met with uh, the four students who did the reporting and the writing, and they. I had told them, I called them uh, Wednesday or so after the stories they had broken, after the whistleblower they had found or came to them. or um, And I said to them on the phone, I don't know you guys. I don't even know if you know me. You may think of me since you're only 20 years old as somebody who just does television. But um, you've done, what I, from what I can tell, incredible work to be lauded. As, a, as an alum of specifically Medill, and as a person who wrote for two and a half years for the Daily Northwestern, which is where their work appeared. And their work is what turned people around. 
uh, and really charted the course for what we know now publicly, which we did not know necessarily. If, you know, people don't read reports unless they are in the university setting. So I met the four kids uh, and just said, hey, that's incredible what you've done. And I know you're catching it. I know you're catching hell for this, and this is what we do. If you want to come into this, this profession and you want to be journalists, I'm not one anymore. Um, but you are student journalists at this time, and I identify with you, and I salute you. And Christine Brennan had talked to them already, and Christine was so, sort of knew more about this as it was coming down the pike. I was not paying any attention to this report, even though I knew the investigation. There was an investigation. So, yeah, so the kids, uh, it's tough because they are also, in addition to just being student journalists, they're students. It's their school. Yes. It's their school. It's their school. They did did a great job, and they probably hate themselves. No, you know, it it, it may be tough. I talk to them, and there's one one of the four I've talked to more often because this young man has called me and said, listen, Mr. Wilbon, can I get some advice? Yes, you can. What do you need to talk about? And by the way, football players, let me say that that a few of them said to me, hey, listen, you know my dad, or you grew up with so-and-so, or you've – Talk to me when I was being recruited, and and they're Medill kids on the football team, hmm. and whether they're Medill or not, they have said, you know, will you talk to us again? Can we reach you? Yes, you can. That's your job. Here's my phone number. You went to yeah. Anytime you went to the school. Want. Absolutely. All right. Anytime you want, and, and was proud of those kids because they've been through hell. Yeah. Maybe already. Maybe they were involved. Maybe they weren't. But you know, it's 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 difficult for them. For I think about them and their families first and foremost, and then the university community and school. But, um, yeah, and so it's been, you know, about as uh, tumultuous a week as, as, you know, I could have without something in my the family of three that I, that I am, you know, with here. So I'm, I'm back at home, but back and forth to uh, Evanston, I will go okay. to try and dig out. I'll talk to you later. All right. Michael Aren't Wilbon, boys and girls. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. I mean... Those kids, they had the story, and they pursued the story, I believe, fairly. And I also believe that, um, that they, in their hearts, will think, what did I do to my school? That's the school they wanted to go to, and it is chaotic at the moment. So I think there's mixed emotions. They're, they did a wonderful job. They did did a wonderful job we'll take a break we'll come back we'll talk to liz i'm tony kornheiser i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast each week ses fabregas nader manua and myself talk all things premier league as a player you don't have time to talk no you don't have time to make a plan you just need to deal with wave after wave after wave we watched coach carter and he said oh afterwards the game's just about doing this for your teammates and i remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep <laughs> planet premier league listen wherever you get your podcasts you're listening to the tony kornheiser show the tony kornheiser show Once again, this is Aaron Prop and Larry Roy. This is called He Cries the Breathing. This was sent to us originally by our friend Michael Granberry, who sends us the most <laughs> wonderful music. And you shouldn't even listen to me. Just go to the end of the show <laughs> and listen to Aaron Prop and Larry Roy. Just absolutely wonderful. It's time to talk to Liz directly. We want to talk to Liz about the tennis Wilbon and I have the same sort of feeling that we... I got home 
It was the third set. I got home. Ah, it was in the middle of that game. The law. Oh, it was the in the middle of that <laughs> That's game. That's amazing timing. That game that went on for yes. 21 minutes. Yes. Uh, the whole thing went on 452. Yeah. And there was. Now, once Alcaraz won that game, Djokovic withdrew from that set. Uh-huh. He said, you know, let's get rid of this set. Because that was a break point uh-huh. there late in it. I think it made it 4-2 or 4-1, whatever it did. I think 4-1 maybe, because it ended 6-1. And Djokovic didn't put up any sort of a, hot, a fight because he had to regather. Uh-huh. I, I guess I agree with McEnroe that it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. What did you think? I think it was a phenomenal tennis match and it was laden with historical significance, significance for the future. Um, It was one of those great athletic contests that was won, you know, rather than a result of the opponent stumbling being, you know, like the women's final was, you know, less than performing to their ability. It It was grabbed, it was won. And we watched over the four sets, this young man, this 20-year-old, not just retain his belief or regather his belief. I don't know that he ever lost it, even though, he, again, he got just steamrolled that first set. But I watched him problem solve and create and learn and learn the grass and learn tactics. I mean, it was like that time-lapse photography of seeing a seedling become a flower, you know. And I have total respect for his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrero, but it's not like Ferrero was giving him signals. I mean, this young man was thinking. It's like drop shot here and lob to follow and uncork a cross-court forehand like that's a rocket I mean it was there was variety there it wasn't I mean most 20 year olds who burst into the scene at least in the men's game do so because of one quality that just no one can handle you know whether it's Boris Becker's serve it's like boom boom you know who can hit that or even Roddick for his moment but Alcaraz is so much more than one shot or one tactic. It, it just was wild. So it, I, I loved it in that way. But for me personally, you know, the, the Federer-Nadal-Wimbledon finals that stretched into darkness, you know, before they could turn on the lights and, you know, nothing would match that. And, and there was just an ever so slight more artistic creativity of the shots in 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 that era of tennis even though it was only like 10 years ago or 10 13 years ago this was just brutal brutal power you just can't believe the game the men's game is is so much power that said I I really believe I love the variety of Alcaraz's game at 20 you know the the change of pace that got Joker more than once he wasn't prepared for and no one adapts and responds and compartmentalizes emotionally better than Djokovic and it wasn't enough so I like Mike did not think 
that Alcaraz would win this. Mm-hmm. I like Mike thought he'll win eventually, mm-hmm. but he didn't win in Paris and he's not going to win this. That was mm-hmm. that was my feeling. Um, I wondered about this with Alcaraz. Maybe it's just because he's young. He seemed to celebrate points, not decisive points, not game-winning points, like in the middle of a game to get to 30-30. And then he'd pump his fist and he'd look around and he'd, you know put his hand to his ear, like, let me uh-huh. hear it. And I wondered if you saw that and and if that is something you think is good or that's just his style. Because it seemed like you're sort of wasting your energy here. What are you doing? So I didn't see that. Or, you know, that didn't come to the fore. It's so interesting to hear you describe it that way. I mean, on the macro whole, I don't think he had all wasted energy in his celebrations I think they were you know all within a pretty constrained thing it wasn't like this blood-curdling scream or even Nadal's pirate whoops but (laughs) you know of of his youth that he'd leap in the air Um, but surely I love the moments he did celebrate and if you're right and I'm sure you are right because you're such a keen observer of sports and he was he was celebrating winning a point that sort of got him nowhere you know that it was just kind of well there was still more to go in the game for sure no no no, i get your point i would have to say i would love that because it means this is an athlete who is about process you know who is about i want to meet a standard i have in my head for what i expect of myself not just the outcome and i i i don't know if i'm expressing that but i love that that's totally fair it's totally fair I have no idea. Djokovic, after the third set, went away for a while. I don't know if his if he's monitored wherever he goes to the bathroom or some changing oh, yeah. room or anything yeah, like he that. Quite often, we'll do that. At yeah, a but when moment. he came back and he kept Alcaraz waiting. Yeah. When he came back, he was great. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's another point where I thought, you know what, he's going to win this match. Yeah. He's going to win this match. And, uh, didn't he, you think he would win this match? Or maybe you didn't. I, Not as much as most people did. I mean, or, or not, let me put it another way. I really gave Alcaraz a shot because the cramping that he did at the French, French Open. Yeah, French. This is a guy who's learning, constantly learning from his mistakes. I'm like, that's not going to happen twice. I've never seen fear in his eyes. I've not seen intimidation in his eyes. I mean, maybe like Wilbon, I thought, yeah, he, you know, he's going to overtake Djokovic on all surfaces one day. Maybe this is not quite the moment. But, I, you know, even after the 6-1 you know, 35 minutes set, I didn't count him out. And that second set tie break, there was a second set tie break. Second yes. set. That. Eight, oh, I'm sorry seven, you missed that. I did but, miss um, that. But I mean, Joker went up three nothing yeah. in the tie break. And he never loses he tie never breaks. He never loses a tie break. Never. I mean, that is no. where he excels upon excels. But, you know, to see Alcaraz win that tie break, it's like, whoa. And and then you started to see what we haven't seen in Djokovic. I, we, I don't mean to speak for everyone. I haven't seen in Djokovic in more than a decade. Um, f- physical displays of 
not self-loathing, but just exasperation with himself. You know, I've never quite seen him plow so many crucial backhands into the net. And it was aggravating him. And of course it's going to aggravate him, but usually he doesn't let you see that. You yeah. know, he was kind of telegraphing uh, something that Alcaraz did not telegraph. Like, I doubt myself. I don't like him. He is not Understood. my goat. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. But I thought he actually ennobled himself in the yes. fourth and fifth sets and in the post game. So oh, the, the I, I, yeah. I, I really did. Yeah. I, so I can't agree. say that I like him, but I admire. I tip my hat oh. to the way he played the fourth and the fifth and what he said afterwards. Sure. Oh, I do. you speak for me. Yeah. Yes. I, it was class act. It was big hearted. It. You know, and when he tried, came time to pivot his remarks to his appreciation for his family and his box and Start broke down. Good for him. It just, I did the same. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah. he, he, there are times you think he is just a machine. He's like too much in control and, you know, but he's so human. I mean, the way he wept after losing to Medvedev, yeah, you know, the, when, with yeah, the, Grand Slam, what do you call it? The super, the, well, yeah, the, grand, the real, the true the real, Grand Slam. Yeah, the labor slam, yeah. It just, that turned me inside out. I mean, he, but his, yes, um, there was, his magnanimity or his warmth to Alcaraz, it was lovely. I, what I particularly liked was he said, look, I'm not feeling good right now. I'm yeah. crediting him, yes. but I'm not feeling, you know, he didn't, it wasn't phony. No. It didn't. It didn't seem to. And I think he's a phony. And so I'm, <laughs> you know, I was impressed by that. Let me just spend a couple of a minute or two. Anz Jabour keeps losing finals uh, to lower seated people. She had 31 unforced errors. Uh, the no. other woman had 13. An unseated. Is is it is Anz Jabour ever going to win one of these? things? I just have to believe, but that's largely because I. I so admire her <laughs> and I likes so her. want her. She is so likable. It is earned. I mean, the grace and kindness and warmth with which she treats other players, with fans. I mean, and I've seen this in so many settings without cameras. I mean, there's nothing for show with her. And, you know, she's from Tunisia. She did not, she's not the product of a tennis factory. I mean, she and her mom and, you know, taught herself to play. She she carries the weight of her country, of of her continent. I mean, and and the goodwill. Like, I would say every player in that locker room would tell you, if I can't win it, I want odds to win it. I mean, But and she, she gets to the final. Yeah, and I, you know, I have to believe it. She just cares so much. She just wants so much. And in this particular final, uh, even more so than the last Wimbledon final, it was almost like gift wrap for her. You've, you're you drawn. You're going to be facing yes. an unseated yes. Czech woman who didn't even play last year. It's like, who in the world? This is like yours for the taking. So I think, you know, people often say tennis is a mind game. And it's like, what could be more illustrative than Ange Jabeur struggles in the finals? And I do believe we know some great players who lost a series of Grand Slam finals before they won yes. their first. Yes. And it's not because they went off and learned a new skill. It's because you learn to handle the moment. 
and handle the emotions. And, you know, she's not a young player, but I want to believe that's all within her grasp. I so want this for her. She appears to be the most popular a female yes. tennis player, and among she has her peers. a lovely game. I mean, I just yeah. have to like well, yeah, editorialize. She's gotten the three finals. Yes, but but not because you know it's a Sharapova, you know, blowing people off the court. She's not overpowering anyone. It's sort of like Justine Hinnon. You know, she 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 wins with artistry and variety and changing tempos, and you know, she's just a real artist on the court. And she was so boxed or bottled up she couldn't show it and you just felt her crying inside before she cried on the outside was that great pleasure to have you here thank you very much we will take a break we will have email and jingle when we return i'm tony kornheiser check out our new nba show beyond the arc part of the cbs sports podcast network where you can find me john gonzalez nba insider bill Ryder, and ashley nicole moss Five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I love this. You're immersed in liquid. Yes. It's Diving just, deep in the you ocean. Just, you're like, yeah, you're swimming with the dolphins. <laughs> and it's fitting because it's going to be like 95 degrees all week. Yes. Now, it's not like Texas we hot. We can't complain. No, it's not, not Texas really. hot. But it's still warm. But it's hot. My utility bills last month, <laughs> staggering. Oh. Staggering. What do you set your thermostat? 75. And they're still staggering. Well, that's restrained. I'm yeah. impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I like to do 58. 58 <laughs> is good. Guys. Chance of We flurries. move it down to about 72 if it gets really, really hot. Jeremy Vint plays this on whatever instrument he plays. It doesn't matter. He plays it better than you play it. Yes. It's just wonderful. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. We got the bagel sandwiches this morning. Always excited about that. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, and let me just say this for Liz, the screen door slams, Mary's dress sways. (laughs) Like a vision, she dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me and I want you only. Don't turn me home again. Oh. I just can't face myself alone again. Have you, you've seen that in person more than a hundred times. Oh, easily. And it's it's done by the entire crowd. Yeah. Like he doesn't even do yeah, it. Yeah, after a point, yes. He doesn't even do it. <laughs> yes, certainly. Do now, it. now in 78, it, it wasn't it's so much a single Everybody knows when to come in and, yes. you know, when he stands there. Yeah. And he smiles. Yeah. You know, it's wonderful. Thanks to our guest today, Liz Clark, Michael Wilbon. Thanks oh. to our, our sponsors today, Indochino, ZipRecruiter, and Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple. Please leave us a review. Chris Hennessy in Pittsburgh. Hello, Mr. Tony. My son and I were in Hershey this weekend for a lacrosse tournament, and the conversation around our team's tent turned to Spooky Nook. Nearly everyone had a look of bewilderment on their face, but thanks to the information for life we littles get from the show, I was fully prepared for the conversation. Furthermore, I felt a sense of pride knowing I was in the same zip code as the great Mike Wilbon for the first time (laughs) since I left D.C. a decade ago. However, our hotel had zero bathrobes. From Brandon Borzelli in Lebanon, New Jersey, who is a 
the king of Spooky Nook. Yes. One thing I forgot to mention about Spooky Nook and its most important factor, parking. The building is enormous and they basically <laughs> funnel the traffic through two doors. One in the front, which is where the athletes get dropped off, and the other on the opposite side of the building warehouse hotel. The parking lot facing the front door is tiny. This leads most parents to drop their kid off and then drive several minutes to the extreme opposite end of the building. You would think that since there was a back door, you'd be okay to park in the wilderness and walk into the superstructure. Not so fast. Sometimes that door is closed, which means you have to walk around the entire building. Last summer this happened to me. It was 3,000 steps. Yes, 3,000 steps from my car to my kid's basketball court. Thankfully, the fresh smell of cow manure kept me awake in the summer hot, <laughs> steamy sun. Hopefully, Wilbon got more VIP treatment than this, but the key to Spooky Nook is to arrive before 8 a.m. to get the spot in the tiny lot up front. That sounds like a fire code violation. From Bill Powell <laughs> yes, in Madison, yes. New Jersey. I'm a 67-year-old little born and raised on Long Island, an avid viewer of PTI fan podcast. My friends know not to disturb me during PTI, if only Reginald trains so easily. Occasionally, my dog raises her head when I say to the TV, no, you shut up, when Wilbon <laughs> utters his displeasure. <laughs> to the topic at hand, my sister Christine is alum of Harper College, or SUNY Binghamton, class of 1970. Perhaps your paths crossed. Regardless, I propose the following. I will coordinate and fund a meeting of the two of you <laughs> where you can regale each other with tales of Harper shenanigans over bowls of Tillamook coffee ice cream. Sound good? Of course, I'll be in attendance, and I can only imagine the looks from my sister saying the things you do for your family. Your venue of choice, and sleep easy. You're far more important to this world than Ari Melber. So if this is Chris Powell or Christine Powell, I'm sure our paths have crossed because we were in school at the same time, and the school only had 4,000 people. Right. But I am unfamiliar with that name. You know, maybe... Yeah. Maybe I would know her, and if, if you listed her friends and who she hung out with and stuff This wasn't like that. the woman who snuck in through the snack bar window, oh, was no, it? no, no, no. That was Wendy Slessor. That's right. Oh, right. Wendy. <laughs> Whoa. A goddess. Laura Dewey in Apex, North Carolina. I played in a senior pickleball tournament this week at my local community center and took second place. I won a jar of pickles and $5 shop credit. Eat it, Tony. <laughs> From Barry Grace in Alabama. Um, not to one-up Mr. Tony, but I have my own stripper story. In 1998, I was living in Mobile, Alabama, listening in the old ESPN radio days. My then-fiancé, now the woman related to me by marriage, beat me home from work and checked my answering machine. There was a message from Tracy asking if I could come over and put on a show for her and some of her friends. She left her number, and I called her back. She seemed very excited when I told her it was Barry Grace returning her call. After she told me again why she was calling, I explained I would be happy to come over and put on a show, but I had an open-door policy. As soon as she opened the door, she had to pay me. Given the fact that I was 5'7 and 220 at the time, <laughs> I thought it best if I got paid up front. She seemed confused, and I told her she had the wrong Barry Grace. She was very embarrassed and quickly ended the call. I then looked in the phone book, and yes, the phone book, and found the other Barry Grace. I called him, introduced myself, explained what happened. He then informed me, indeed, he was a male stripper. I said, really, you don't say, and gave him Tracy's number and <laughs> wished him well. Several years later, I received a call from a good friend in Birmingham, Alabama. He met Barry Grace, the male stripper, while at the gym. My friend called to tell me that when he told him, yeah, I know another Barry Grace, my dancing friend said, yeah, I know, we've spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Jolene Wojcik um, sent lovely pictures of Rose Zhang oh, yes. signing autographs. Yet. You know, loves Rose Zhang, as we all do. Nice. As we, all we love do, Rose yes. Zang. Thank nice. you to Jolene. Uh, the the uh, headline on this is, this what, this is called the subject line? Yeah, subject line, yes. And it's, I really hate your podcast. <laughs> 
And, so of and course it, I printed it. Yeah, you printed it. It says, Tony, did the subject line get your attention? Just kidding. I really enjoy the banter. It reminds me of the round table and the men's grill for lunch from years ago. This is my friend Eddie Brown from Rehoboth uh-huh. Beach. Uh-huh. Two topics caught my ear in the last two weeks. First being the Sally Jenkins article in the Washington Post about Martine and Chris Everett. Now, I'm not one who would typically read the Washington Post, but on Saturday as I was sitting on the beach in Rehoboth listening to the jets flying overhead since Mr. Joe was in town. <laughs> I was surfing Twitter and someone had posted the article. What a great read. If not for your podcast, I probably would have gone right by it. Doesn't that entitle you to some type of royalty? I'd like to hold the Pulitzer when she gets it. I would just like to touch it. Just like to touch it. Yeah, the race is over. The second was you discussing how hot you were playing golf for the eighth time that week in Columbia. The hottest I've ever been playing golf was with you. Must have been almost 10 years ago because I don't recall you being terrible. I believe it was almost 101 degrees with 120 degrees real feel. Needless to say, most idiots canceled that day. Not you and I. (laughs) We did take a cart and played in two and a half hours. No slow play with no golfers. Ha. Anyway, hope you and the crew continue to do a good job. Till the next time I see you at Rehoboth and let's play golf soon. Um, Your friend from the other side of the bay and the other side of the aisle, Eddie Brown. (laughs) So I saw Eddie this weekend at the member guest. Eddie is a great golfer. Eddie won the club championship a number of times. Wow. He's won the senior club championship recently. As He's still a great player. One time Michael and I went out there, and Michael's a good player, uh-huh. and Eddie Brown wanted to play against a good player. Eddie Brown birdied the first five holes. <laughs> Michael had two birdies. He was down three after five. Wow. Eddie Brown birdied the first five. That's, I was awed. That's coming wow. out charging. I was yes. awed. Wow. From Tony Beeson, Cincinnati. Stealing second, third, and home, hits for the cycle, reaches the upper deck at Nats Park. It's a song written by Dan Byrne. What a start to a major league career for Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, note, the last Cincinnati Red to steal second, third, and home was Greasy Neal in 1919. Did you cover that game? Oh. No, because I had a high school exam. That day. <laughs> uh, from John Sedola, Gonzaga class in 1965, Notre Dame 69. I recently went to the new Wegmans off Wisconsin Avenue oh. in the district. Since I've been to the Refugee Safeway a number of times, I felt compelled to write a comparison. The top 10 reasons why Safeway is better than Wegmans. One, Safeway has street-level parking just a few steps from the store. Wegmans has parking in an underground dungeon. <laughs> then two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, left blank. Because there are no reasons. Right. I will say this. Wegmans I've become a big patron of the, that Wegmans. It's great. The underground parking lot is very easy to deal with. From Dennis Bounds in Redmond, Washington, enjoyed your conversation with Dave Sims last Friday. But is the Space still, Needle still in Seattle? You asked that? Come on, man. Is the Washington Monument still standing? Does I-95 still run north and south? Is Abby Lowell still the smartest man in Washington? Some things never change. Don't you change, Tony. From Steve Light in Roanoke, Virginia. What does Oatsy think about oat milk? We, we, should, we should ask him. We should reach out to Adam Oates, who's <laughs> own, who had the only hockey nickname longer than his actual name. He went from Oats oh, that's to Oatsy. Yes. To Oatsy. From Ryan Gall in Denver, Colorado. I sometimes wonder if there are others like me who, fearing a fate akin to Apollonia, religiously use the remote start button (laughs) while approaching their vehicle. How different it all could have been had Mm. that technology been standard on Alfa Romeos in the 1940s. From Colin Skinner in Portland, Oregon, quote, I would not take it out on the tellers as the strippers advised, as the stripper advised. It is for exactly this type of content that I listen. (laughs) Keep up the great work. If you're out on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white. Thank you for filling these seats tonight. Aw, I know that voice. You came out of the woods when I called you. 
he wishes he 